good to see everybody tonight. Our number is up, as Brother Larry said. I know many of our folks have been traveling because of the spring break, and we're glad to have you back. We've had a number of visitors, and this morning I know we had some visitors who are actually looking for a church home. They're looking for a place to be. Some are not yet Christians, and I appreciate the fact that many of you greeted them this morning and uh, encouraged them to come back. We always need to realize that we are trying to build the Lord's church to do our part. And if you can invite someone, I want you to invite them for the gospel meeting, but I'd like to see you invite them each and every week and uh, to have opportunities so that we might expand the borders of the Lord's kingdom. We plant, we water, and I'm sure God will give the increase. Tonight, I'm going to address a subject that has been requested. It's a subject on prayer. And when you start thinking about prayer, that's an area where I believe many of us struggle. We want to pray. We want to do what is right. But the truth is, we ask the question, what should I say? How should I say it? How should I address God should I use terms that are familiar and, or should I speak in a language? People really want to do the right thing. But I suggest we're no different than his disciples were. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. They wanted to pray right. They wanted to pray and say the right things. Well, I believe there's a real good book that discusses this. The book of James is an extremely and eminently practical book. It addresses so many things in our life, whether or not our faith is cooperative with works. It deals with how we treat people who come in and among our midst. But it also addresses prayer and how you and I ought to pray, and the things for which a person ought to pray and not pray. We're going to look at four things tonight. We're going to look at prayer and mental things from chapter 1 and verse 5. We'll look at prayer and material things from chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. We'll look at prayer and emotional things, how I feel in chapter 5 and verses 13 through 15. And then finally, prayer and spiritual things in chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. So let's begin our Bible study tonight by opening our Bibles back to the passage that Brother Corey read to us just a few moments ago from chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You see, man is encouraged to pray for wisdom. What does that mean to pray for wisdom? Wisdom is not just knowledge. It's not just understanding. In fact, you have to have knowledge, you have to have understanding in order to use wisdom. In reality, wisdom is the application of our knowledge, and our understanding. That's when you and I are able to take what we know and we understand and choose the right and proper course. 
I would love to be able to spend a lot of time, but I want to deal with prayer, but I do want to focus your mind for just a minute on the wisdom for which you and I should be praying. And Solomon, the practical book of the Old Testament, said in chapter 1, and if you'll notice verses 2 and 3, he says to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive words of understanding, to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. He's talking about if we listen, we can derive those things. Chapter 23, verse 23. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom, instruction, and understanding. In chapter 2, verse 2, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. You see, part of the way you and I will gather wisdom and God will give it to us is by giving us wise people before us. We're often told to listen to our parents. We're to listen to those who are elder. That is, they're older than us. They have been there. They've been through the difficulties. They have an understanding which we do not have and they have a wisdom that we do not possess. In chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth He comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. Because you see, ultimately all wisdom does derive from God himself. And in chapter 4, verse 5, verse 7, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget, turn away from the word, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore Get wisdom and all you're getting, get understanding. Oh, there's some pursuit that has to be involved in all this. Chapter 16, 16, how much better is this to get wisdom than gold and to understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Solomon goes on as he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 1 and verse 13 says, And I set my heart to seek and to search out by Wisdom concerning all the things done under heaven. You see, he's looking for wisdom, searching for wisdom. Chapter 7 and verse 25, I applied my heart to know, to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things. You and I should be praying to God for wisdom. But the truth is, is that as we pray, we must cooperate with our prayers to seek wisdom. Just like Jesus in the model prayer said, give us this day our daily bread. And God does provide bountifully. But at the same time, God expects you and I to get out and to work with our hands. And God will provide. James would go on to say in chapter 3 verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by his good conducts, that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. You can show that you've gained wisdom. He talks about the worldly wisdom in chapter 3 and verse 15. He says, it does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. But he said, the one that comes from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, full of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. But the second kind of things for what you and I should pray is material things. If you'll turn with me now to chapter 4, really the context begins in verse 1, but we just 
for our lesson's purpose, we want to focus on verses 2 and 3. And he says, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. The very first thing he says is that God expects us to ask. He wants to know that we have enough interest in something that we will ask him for it. Part of this is our own desire and pursuit. And when I go to chapter 7 of the book of Matthew and look at verses 7 through 11, Jesus in the great sermon on the mount said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks, receive. Who seeks, finds. And he knocks, it will be opened. But I want you to notice in verses 10 and 11 about a son. And if he asks for bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? He says, if then you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. Yes, God, as James 1 and verse 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation nor shadow of turning. So I've got to realize the importance of asking. But in this context, he warns us about being obsessed with material things. In fact, I'd encourage you to think about your prayers and that for which you're going to ask. And as you begin to think about what it is you want to say to our Heavenly Father, if everything is, Lord, I really would like for you to give me this. God, I I feel like I need this. And if you start looking and everything in your prayer is materially focused, then maybe we've got a problem. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Is not your life more important than just the things that you have acquired? Get down to verse 33 and 32 and 33. He said, for after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. God knows our needs. God loves us enough to provide. He wants us to ask, but folks, don't put it too far out front. That's the reason why he would say in verse 4, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And Whoever there would be a friend of the world made himself an enemy of God. Now someone says, well, You've got me confused now. I ask, but I shouldn't ask too much. I need to ask God for the food that I eat, the clothes that I wear, for the place where I live, but let me give you the best illustration I could find in Scripture. In Psalm 78, the psalmist looks back to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt as they wandered in the wilderness. And you all know that when they were in the wilderness, they were fully dependent upon God for everything, for their food, for their clothing not wearing out, for even the water that they drank. In Psalm 78, verses 18 and 19, 
And they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? I want you to imagine these people are going through. God is giving them manna every day. That's not good enough anymore. They want food of their fancy. Numbers 11, verses 4 through 6 is a good commentary. He said, now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish that we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. You see, God was providing for their needs, but they didn't want just their needs met. They wanted more. And the response of that in Psalm 106, verses 14 and 15, but they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request. Oh, they got the quail. They got the meat but he sent leanness into their soul. That last phrase scares me. God sent leanness into their soul. Oh yes, he provided the food, but their lust left them spiritually lean. Something to think about as we pray for material things. Number three, if you'll turn with me now to chapter 5, and let's look at verses 13 through 15. Prayer and emotional things. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, and anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he have committed sins, he will be forgiven. I want to tell you something you all know. Life is filled with emotional ups and downs. There are times when you come to the Lord's services here and you've got a smile on your face and you're happy and you're ready to worship, you're ready to sing those songs. And I'm going to tell you there's some times that people come to services and they're tired and they're worn out and they're mentally defeated and they're emotionally bankrupt and they feel like I don't have anything else left to give. You all know that's true. There are times when people are having a difficult time in life and they're asking questions. One is suffering, afflicted, in distress. That's certainly a time to pray. A time when you may go to the hospital and one of your loved ones is there and you've gotten very serious news. That's a time to pray. Or what if the doctor comes and tells you, you've got some sort of illness from which you will not recover? Or even what if you're just having a very 
difficult time dealing with what you're facing in life. It's a time to pray. As I look at our Lord, you know the night in which he was going to be betrayed? He went into the Garden of Gethsemane. We studied about that about three or four weeks ago. And Hebrews 5 verse 7 records this and it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his godly fear. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, there were just the kind of shrill cries Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass. How emotional was it? He was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. Oh, yeah. Tough time. Let me give you another illustration. Isaiah chapter 38. Good old king Hezekiah. He became sick and was near death. Verse 1 and Isaiah the prophet, son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and will not live. Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Was he in an emotional, difficult time? Absolutely he was. He prayed to God and God answered his prayer. Look at verse 5. Go tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, and I will add to your days 15 years. Oh yeah, God hears in times of difficulty, in times of stress. Do you know something? Sometimes our emotional periods of being down is because of things we can't control. We can't control sickness. Sometimes we can't even control what other people do to us or against us. But here's a stark reality. Sometimes we create our own misery. And David would put it like this in Psalm 32... Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now listen to David as he describes this situation. When I was silent, my bones grew old. And through my moaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my vitality was turned to the drought of summer I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time that you shall be found or when you may be found and surely a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. David said, yes, I made the problem that was in my own life. But he said, when I waited, he said that it was just like a a burden on me. But he said, I prayed. That emotional burden was lifted. 
here's a reality we all need to appreciate. When it comes time to suffer the consequences of my own sin and I have to realize that I'm suffering because of what I've done, that's the perfect time to approach God and say, God, I'm sorry for what I have done. And sometimes it's really even hard to put in words. When Paul wrote the Romans, he said in chapter 8 and verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Let that phrase sink in. We don't, need to, we don't know what we need to pray for as we ought. There are times when I cannot express myself how I feel. That's an emotional, difficult time. But the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The groanings that we feel, the Spirit is able to put them into words for our Father. Number four, let's talk about spiritual things. The latter part of verse 15, and then we're going to go through verse 18. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, had I mentioned in the beginning, what should you and I pray for? You might have thought about mental things, the prayer for wisdom, chapter 1 and verse 5. You may have even thought about the material things, the food, the clothing, the shelter, and maybe even the mental things. But I dare say everybody would say, we ought to pray for our spiritual needs, spiritual things. And when I do that, I need to be praying for my own forgiveness, recognizing my own sin. 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, that's what James said. Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. You're certainly familiar with this account. Jesus talked about two men going up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. And you're already thinking, this man's not praying. This man's not acknowledging a spiritual need. This man is trying to tell God how great he is. But if you drop down and look at verse 13, it says, And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. What is God looking for in me and in you? The acknowledgement of the fact that I have failed. And where I have failed God, I confess that to him. I say, God, I have failed you in this. 
and beg and plead for God's forgiveness for his mercy. But you see, in this prayer, this passage, there's a reflection on the need to pray for others. Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another. If you'll remember right after the conversion of Simon the sorcerer in Acts 8, Peter told him that his heart was not right. He was in the bond of iniquity and the gall of bitterness. He said, repent therefore and pray of your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me. Is it right that you and I should pray for one another? Absolutely. What Simon did was the right thing to say to Peter, Peter, pray for me that none of these things of which you have spoken may come upon me. We ought to pray for one another. In Romans 10, verse 1, Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, they may be saved. There's some folks in our families. There's some folks among our friends. There's some folks who have visited us. We need to pray for them. Their hearts will be tender that their minds will be open and that they will desire to do the right thing. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.25, Paul said, Brethren, pray for us. Pray for the preachers. Pray for Brother Chad as he's going to come and deliver um, the messages from God's Word, that there will be people there whose hearts will be opened. There has to be a care for one another spiritually. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 12, 25 in the midst of all the bickering that was going on, he said there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. He said you need to care for them and they need to care for you. Just like Galatians 6, if a one's overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Help one another through the difficult times. Pray for yourself spiritually, but pray for others spiritually as well. In the book of James, prayer is powerful and important. We need to pray for the right things at the right time and the right way. But prayer is never a substitute for obedience. You see, what God wants you to do tonight is to obey His Word. And then you have the right to ask God for blessings. And what God would want you to do tonight is not do what the Apostle Paul did, to go and pray and pray and pray. Because God said, you go to the city and it will be told to you what you must do. And God sent Ananias. And when Ananias arrived, his message was very plain, very simple, and very clear. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, 
calling on the name of the Lord. If you're not a Christian, that's what we want to encourage you to do. Arise and be baptized. And if you are a failing Christian and you need the prayers of this congregation, we stand ready to assist in any way. Please come as together we stand and sing.